on. So we've got to be careful as a as a country that we keep iterating at pace and mm. we keep looking at how do we facilitate to bring those sort of cutting edge uh, firms, mm. whether it's autonomous flight, cars, all sorts mm. of things, that we create that environment where uh, you know where New Zealand is the place to be. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Hey folks, greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Spain, and today very pleased to have Paul Woodfield joining me in the studio. How are you, Paul? Oh, thanks for having me, Paul. Excellent. I'm good. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, well, yeah, thanks for coming in. Your first time on the show. Oh, yeah. Uh, so maybe you can fill listeners in on where you fit into this big wide world of tech, innovation and, and business in New Zealand. Well, good. it's a very good question. Um, I actually have a past life as a quantity surveyor in the construction industry, so been involved on uh, building projects. You see a lot of technology via the kind of materials that are used or the, the gadgets that, that they're using on building sites. Mm. But also um, that got me kind of thinking about where I would look at going forward as far as where I ended up with my career. But I also have a heritage in the wine industry and they were really responsible for bringing in a lot of the technology that we're using today to speed up processes because their competition at the time was Montana, which was the largest firm alongside their firm. And um, they need to... This is the family wine business. This is the family wine business, uh, the Corbin family. So they brought a lot of technology into the country, not just physical technology, but also knowledge. Mm. And uh, that was uh, utilised in a way that uh, helped speed up processes and, um, you know, gave them an entrepreneurial edge over the competition at the time. Um, from there, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've done a master's and a PhD since, but in the postdoc period, uh, we looked at innovation in traditional industries. Now, traditional industries tend to be, <coughs> excuse me, low to medium tech uh, type businesses, but they often have a lot of high tech in them. If you think about um, milking machines, robotic milking yeah, machines yeah. and so on, yeah. or drones used on farms and, and so on. So. There, there is high tech in those spaces as well, and uh, and that was something that we were looking at alongside what is it in these low tech industries that makes them tick. So, yeah, technology was in there as much as it was the uh, innovation, which uh, is an emphasis around my the type of research that I do. Yeah, excellent. Oh well, thanks for coming in. Really uh, appreciate it. Now, lots to to delve into uh, today. We want to talk about the um, the public safety network here uh, in in New Zealand. Uh, there's mm-hmm. been an announcement in the last few days on that uh, Twitter, and mm-hmm. some of the, I guess the you know the most important sort of aspects around what's going on uh, there at the moment. Amazon uh, robots, and I guess you know some of the broader implications because we, mm-hmm. we're hearing about mm-hmm. these things all the time. Uh, there's wing drones in, in Australia. There's some there's some further news on in that area from what we've discussed uh, very recently. Uh, some things going on at at, uh, at Tesla is quite mm-hmm. interesting, and um, FTX and uh, and their their challenges as well amongst mm-hmm. uh, amongst other things. So uh, so let's get get <laughs> straight in. Um, I had the press release come through from uh, Vodafone and and Spark around uh, how they're working together to deliver. Uh, this new emergency communication mm-hmm. system, effectively uh, priority cellular uh, services for for our emergency services in New Zealand. So you know we're we're talking of uh, fire and emergency New Zealand, 
New Zealand Police, uh, St. John and Wellington Free Ambulance. So, you know, the, the services that we're used to kind of calling mm-hmm. 111 to get hold of, you know, they need to have uh, great communications. And, and we know this has been an area uh, where, where, you know, work's been, you know, going on, um, you know, to a degree mm-hmm. sort of behind the scenes. Uh, so yeah, so there's been a bit of uh, a bit of detail, um, you know, come come through on that. Mm. And so what's going to come from um, Spark and Vodafone working together? Of course, benefits from you know leveraging their existing networks and then you know extra investment going in, um, and then that's also going to be complemented by the new uh, digital land uh, mobile okay. radio. Uh, network, which is a, which is another aspect of the right. public safety uh, network, and that's being delivered by Cordia uh, in conjunction with um, Tate Communications. Mm. You know, another big uh, you know right, success yeah. uh, story, uh, you know, uh, globally for for New Zealand. So um, yeah, we've read a, you know one point four billion uh, dollar investment mm. uh, here. Uh, that's over a ten-year period, so that's mm. I guess to you know get things established as well as uh, you know operating. So mm. uh, yeah, I think you know it's 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 encouraging that uh, you know we're as a country continuing to invest. This mm. is a really big investment, um, but you know when we look at where we are, say from a broadband mm. perspective, with a, you know around eighty-seven percent of the population uh, mm. reached by uh, by. Um, by fiber and in fact this week we've even seen I've uh, seen so, you know media release through from from chorus uh, I'm not sure you know who's picked that one up um, or whether it's had much a- attention mm. uh, through and sort of mainstream media um, but they've been sort of nudging and saying hey you know government should should get in and uh, and maybe fund for them to you know to hit uh, hit yeah. rural New Zealand as well, but all of these, uh, you know, elements uh, provide us in New Zealand with, with a you know very very strong overall communication mm-hmm. services, which then has a flow on to you know the success of the nation. Mm-hmm. In some areas, this public safety network obviously has a flow on from a health and safety and addressing those those emergency uh, scenarios. And of course, you know, the government has. Um, you know, been fun, they had their black spot sort of fund mm. to to get uh, mobile coverage out into mm. into areas where there's been you know large chunks of of uh, of black spots. But uh, yeah, it seems very yeah. very encouraging to me how these things are falling <laughs> falling you know falling into place. It is, and in, in, in a world where we we seem like there's a disaster around the corner all the time, I think of all the holiday spots, and because uh, the first thing that came to mind when you you mentioned that was. Uh, the uh, civil defence, you know, these all these networks are tied into civil defence and various other things. Uh, I imagine even uh, Department of Conservation would be linked in there because they're remote. But um, you know, all of our holiday spots being remote and, and needing these services, um, yeah, absolutely. So um, it's encouraging that they're spending so much money over a, a decent period as well. By the way. Uh, rather than just a two-year project and see where it goes, kind of thing. So yeah, yeah, and um, I I saw through from from chorus a number I, f- I found quite quite interesting. So this came through yesterday. Their statement was that they've invested in in a, in a study, yeah. and the result of that uh, was that there's apparently 
$16.5 billion mm. in economic benefits of high-capacity rural broadband. Right. So if that's the case to deliver, you know, out to the, the fringes, I guess, you know, we've got that that uh, 13% of New Zealand that uh, that doesn't have, mm. have fibre broadband available. Uh, if you sort of step back and have a bit of a think about, well, what are the economic benefits to mm. us of... Um, you know the existing broadband uh, initiatives. If if they think that's uh, that's the case, so the report is called "Rural Connectivity: oh, yeah. Economic Benefits of Closing the Rural Digital Divide." Um, so yeah, I um, I haven't sort of seen or had a chance to kind of read the full report <laughs> there, but it is available on you know online for uh, you know for those that are. Uh, that are that are interested from mm. the uh, uh, New Zealand Institute of Economic uh, Research. Okay. Yeah. Um, so uh, so that is online uh, at, at from Chorus's uh, website, and if I've got the numbers right, their their comment was basically that those in the rural locations that don't have fiber connectivity today mm. would get around a $6,000 economic benefit by per per annum right. by having access to you know the very best of uncapped um, broadband now Gee. i'm you know like when you stack it up like that probably the first time i've i've seen any sort of figures that could sort of stack up to the mm. to the cost of actually delivering broadband to to you know once we sort of start to get um you know beyond the reach mm. that we have today which you know which hits uh you know those in in mm. towns and cities down to a you know a pretty small scale already right so it's yeah. it's 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 quite fascinating i'm I guess you know, you know, with Chorus, this is what they deliver is the physical yep. fibre infrastructure, and it's not just them. We've, you know, we've got the, um, you know, other providers, but mm. from their perspective, that's where their business is. So it makes sense for them mm. to get that research done to to mm-hmm. make uh, the make to make the case. Uh, but I'm well, kind of fascinated to see how it actually plays out. Plays out, yeah. Um, it, it, that's a lot of money. You've talked about two lots of ten billion plus. Amounts, but you think about the foundation that's beyond that as well. I mean, the broadband didn't come around overnight, kind of thing. The amount of research that would have gone prior to even rolling out this kind of stuff in the billions as well would have uh, been the unseen billions that we don't see in the media. The mm. stuff that happens in universities and research institutes and all the rest of it. So, um, yeah, it's encouraging to see that the technologies uh, at that point where it's been rolled out extensively and fast. Mm. Mm. Um, we, you know. We do now have like the best connectivity mm-hmm. that we've yeah. ever had out to uh, you know out to rural locations, mm-hmm. uh, particularly with with you know Starlink coming yep. on stream. Maybe there'll be other other competitors, um, but there do there do seem to be still challenges for people. And whether you know exactly you know, what the um, the solution is, mm-hmm. you know, you've got Chorus putting up their hands saying we've got the solution. <laughs> Uh, it should be fibre. Starlink, interestingly, you know, I've talked about Elon Musk companies that not advertising, but I, I do notice that Starlink are spending a bit of money to advertise. Now they've got uh, 
Uh, they've got that coverage. Right. So, yeah, different options. And then, you know, of course, we've, we've got, uh, you know, 4G, 5G and, and Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we're in the best position we've ever been at from a broadband perspective, um, mm. but it's going to have to evolve uh evolve forward. Uh, it's unlikely that these things will, will sit still, put it that way. Oh, I've always found it intriguing that, you know, we're in a country of, what, 5 million, sitting nearly, coming up to 6 million, I'm sure, at some point, that um, that we even have the ability to uh, get to the rural areas because we are a, long, a large country for our population and um, when we're putting money into infrastructure around roading and uh, rail and, and so on, to prioritise connectivities uh, is, is an important thing, I'd imagine. So, well, don't imagine it is. It is what it is. So yeah, and yeah. it gives us a significant advantage over our neighbours yeah, in, in Australia who have yeah who have really yes, struggled. Absolutely. Now onto onto Twitter. This is. I mean, I I thought <laughs> oh yeah, one or two weeks we'll be talking about Twitter and then it's going to die down uh, for a little bit and we'll come back to Twitter and and. In a few months, uh, but this week has uh, has been a a pretty you know big one as far as Twitter is concerned. We saw Twitter Blue turned on, where for eight US dollars, folks can pay to get an account uh, verified. And of course, in the past, that verification tick mm-hmm. has been the indicator to users of Twitter that this is an official account. You know, from a well-known organization or entity, or you know, individual who maybe need, you know, there needs to be some clarity that this is yep. that person and and not an imposter. Now, mm. Twitter always had this very very strange mechanism that once you had the blue tick, mm. you could change your name at any time, which seemed to me, to, how does this make <laughs> sense? You could change your name to, you know the President of the United mm. States, whoever you wanted. Um, and, you know, for comedic purposes, we saw a lot of people changing their names to Elon Musk. Over, Is that right? Yes, know, of course, yeah. And then, and then you know, uh, some of those folks having their accounts sort of permanently banned, others who had sort of, you know, comedically sort of messed with their names and they'd paid for the Twitter blue verification. Mm. They'd got instantly got or, you know, very quickly got their tick and then realised they couldn't actually change the sort of the fun element mm-hmm. out of their name, yeah, quite a quite a shambles. And and then there was this element that people have been talking about, whereby you could um, fake somebody's handle on Twitter, and this is what happened with Eli Lilly. Is that the correct pronunciation? It sounds um, right. The uh, Drug firm, drug firm in, yeah. um, in the US. In insulin, insulin and so on, yeah. Anyway, so, um, but, you know, they've had their Twitter account as Lilypad. It's had the verification. So you would um, you would assume, okay, that's good, and it's and you, you trust that. But, of course, with this new verification model, what we saw was somebody came along and set up a new account, Lily capital L-I-L-L-Y, well, you could use capitals and lowercase in a, in a Twitter handle. Right. So instead of an LL, you could have two, two capital I's mm. uh, and it would look exactly the same, you mm. know, as well mm. anyway. So somebody faked the account, they paid the eight US dollars and then put a, a, a tweet out uh, to the effect that they were making insulin free, which yeah. of course is a pretty 
important <laughs> aspect of how uh, how how the company you know um, to you know generates revenue, and uh, immediately, as one might expect, once it's you know it start started getting picked up, um, and it did get picked up because yeah. it wasn't just from some random Twitter account. It was a Twitter account with a big blue tick next to it, mm. which course there's still that feeling mm. that oh that's a legitimate company uh the handle looked looked you know totally legitimate mm. even yep. though it wasn't and uh, immediate impact on the on the share price so yep. this is the sort of stuff yep. that folks were were kind of you know warning about of like this this is going to be a problem and um yep. under Elon Musk's leadership Twitter went ahead anyway mm. and it just seems like they're moving at this crazy pace Compared to how they were operating before, which will probably yield some good results, mm. but if this is if this is the impact, and <laughs> you know you lose investors, you know potentially millions of dollars, uh, and you create distrust in the platform, you yeah. you do wonder uh, whether Twitter's days are, are becoming numbered, and even uh, you know Elon Musk has uh, has tweeted. Uh, Recently, yeah. that potentially the business will will go bankrupt as well. Yeah. Um, so uh, you know, possibly this is this is a pretty big own goal, and you know, I would I would think there's room for Twitter to be fined here as well for this well, sort of action. Surely, the, the couple of things that came to mind was that uh, you you it's quick cash flow, right? Eight dollars, lots of people doing it all at once, and. Does does any of it get paid back at any point when there's this kind of thing coming up, right? Um, and, um, and you know, an apology comes out, but does anybody get the eight dollars back? Uh, well, I think but, the apology came out from from the drug company. I haven't right, seen okay, one from yeah, Twitter either. From Twitter. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, but with um, with the uh, the drug company, you know, the implications aren't just on the insulin; it's on uh, the what's the their uh, quick pens at five hundred and thirty dollars US. You know, it's not just the uh, the chemical, if you want to call it that. It's on the uh, the way it's facilitated as well. So it may be that um, this company uh, they have the quick pens themselves. But what about where insulin is um, is is facilitated by some other company's um, product? So it may have a dip for them as well, as far as uh, their shares, their their um, their share prices. Are, yeah, you know, it's, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So. Um, no, I find it really intriguing, but I also find that you know you got two things there. You said that you could change the the the, uh, the uh, Twitter handle quite easily just with letters and capitalization and so mm. on. But you're buying that. You're buying that truth, if you want, of that or who that person is. And um, I often think of uh, so one of the things in my background is um, as a researcher for science for technological innovation. One of their spearheads or large projects that they're pouring money or putting money into at the moment is around veracity, around what truth is, what how do you, what the provenance of 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 where things come from, whether it's let's say the wine industry. I like talking about the wine industry, but the idea that you know where the grapes came from and and where the wine has been made and and so on. And of course, yep, in France, it's they, safe to drink. It's safe to so, drink. So many aspects, but also around the naming of it in France, it's very much controlled. But you know. How do you know who somebody is? Yeah, I, I, I think that's uh, an issue that you can buy basically your identity in this case. Yeah, and uh, yeah, just it just seems like a real a real shocker from Twitter's perspective. And I guess, yeah, and initially, you know, I you know, a fair bit of well, look, you know, Elon Musk has been very successful with his other businesses. Yes, mm. he's he's 
not been in, in media before and doesn't really have the experience in uh, uh, advertising, but uh, but I'll probably figure it out. Um, it all comes down to how long it how long it takes for him to figure it out, mm. and there's a fair bit of damage that's been that's been done already. And yeah, it's it's uh, I I am I'm just very very curious as mm. to yeah whether he can he can write this uh, this ship and yeah of course he is a very polarizing figure mm. anyway right so mm. other things are coming out oh he stopped uh, stopped with the free meals which you know we we're seeing all sorts of changes across mm. Silicon Valley and and tech businesses at the moment due to the economic climate mm. so. You know, it might not just be just be Twitter, but if he jumps in on doing a range of yeah. things, he may break things from from the inside as well as from the outside. I guess there's a side of me that thinks, well, nothing ventured, nothing gained. You know, he's tried on uh, this eight dollar. Uh, uh, you know, identif- You know, it, it kind of makes sense to have given it a go to be able to go. Okay, well, we can pull back. It that's not going to work. We're going to have to think about this. How big is his ego, though? Yeah, I, I is, don't know. Is I mean, he willing to say I stuffed it up? And uh, yeah, probably you know. not going that far, but at least potentially kind of thinking of it in terms of um, having given something different a go that hasn't been done before, and then yeah, finding out afterwards maybe it's not the way to go. Absolutely, but um, that's how that's how entrepreneurship works. That's how innovation occurs, right? So yeah, and and look, there's a level here of that he is bringing Twitter back to being more of a startup. Things are mm. happening in a more agile, fast-paced way. Mm. The the question mm. is whether you can actually do that with a you know a company like like yeah. Twitter at this point in time. If you know mm. the flow on is that you cost people billions of dollars, mm. then yes. no, shut the thing down, right? If it's mm. causing more harm than than good, mm. there's a there's a point where you know you uh, point, you make yeah. it very painful <laughs> and uh, maybe the doors have to have to shut um now on to um on to other matters um yeah. amazon robots have, have been in in the media yeah. uh the these are new ones tell us what you know what you've seen and what your your take is on these uh the these latest robots and i guess you know what are the implications from a uh, you know, perspective of of the the workforce and the you know the people yeah. that are involved. Well, I, I find it intriguing. I mean, this is a, an, a, an article that came out a, a few days ago, so it's relatively fresh. Introducing this uh, yellow robot called Sparrow, um, but it's I guess it's the uh, the idea that it can pick up um, things of all different types of shapes, and it does take away from the employees uh, being able to to do what they do. But then the argument also is that the uh, they're worked overtime. That, that um, part of it is that they need to alleviate some of that pressure on on workers anyway. So it's not necessarily getting rid of workers. And the argument would be that you know you, you're bringing in robots, you're also bringing in more employment to make those robots as well. And there's been time, there's been cases in the past where you have to build um, build a lot of these robots or um, the technology uh, and employ a lot more. And it begs the question: What does our education system look like going forward as well? What new skills are we going to need if we're not uh, working in the, I guess, what might be considered mundane jobs of picking up um, um, packages and, and moving them around? 
um, what might be our new skills that we need going forward and do education institutions need to think about what that looks like and uh, and kind of uh, move between the traditional faculties or different disciplines and work more transdisciplinary or interdisciplinary, um, multidisciplinary, all those lovely those kind of words, yep. but the idea that, that things um, work in a different way going forward. So not just about the technology itself taking over, but what is it that the people need to do? And, you know, a number of years ago now, we bought somebody over from uh, Germany. He was looking at Industry 4.0, among other things, uh, looking at the low-tech uh, industries or traditional industries as they may be framed. And he was advising the uh, the federal government over in, in, in um, Germany at the time around the social science side of things, because everybody else is an engineer or a technologist and so on. I think there was a patent attorney in there, but he was on the social science side. So what does it look like when technology takes over to some extent? And, uh, and you know, there, there can be a positive outlook on that. So I think we need to keep balanced on that because I guess the, we don't know everything that we don't know at this point. But, mm, mm. Um, but we do know that um, maybe uh, the way we live uh, means that we're not doing... Uh, 80 hour weeks and we're, we're down to, to 30 hour weeks and technology um, does a lot of the work for us but it begs the question if you're in a factory if you haven't got all the workers on the on the factory floor and you only need to have a couple of supervisors making sure things are running um, where do those workers go and I think there, there probably is an answer I don't have all the answers but I do consider the fact that um, you know you have to build things for th- other things to, to work right so yeah Yep. Yeah, it's it's quite fascinating. Um, you know, the yeah, the the sort of the broader the broader aspects, and yeah, as you say, how that sort of plays in from an education perspective. And yeah, we we look back a little bit, and it was certainly this this idea that somebody would maybe enter an organisation and spend their entire life within that mm. organisation, and sometimes maybe even doing exactly the same role. Mm-hmm. And you know, what we're seeing here is this this increase of change and change of pace, and this need for more of the sort of you know uh, continuous education or lifelong learning, mm. uh, because yeah, robot comes in, it takes away this role, but of course we're seeing you know, all sorts of new things uh, pop up, mm. whether that's I don't know driving Ubers or you know <laughs> there's there are the new things coming through and there will be a mix of, of opportunities that will, mm. we would certainly hope will, will really suit everybody so that as one part of the, the economy and the workforce changes and evolves that, mm. that new things uh, spring up. And that's certainly, you know, I think what we've seen when we when we go back over the last sort of you know, 150 years we've seen mm. more factories and, and, and automation come through in varying ways. So... Yeah, I always kind of like to look to the in the positive direction that um, you know we, we shouldn't shouldn't be all doom and gloom as as we as we see these these technologies coming through, whether it's robotics or or otherwise. And in fact, we had uh, news of these uh, wing drones, which is it's an entity right, yeah. that sits under uh, under under Alphabet, mm-hmm. uh, previously uh, Google that. They're now coming into Australia to be used for DoorDash mm-hmm. orders. Now, DoorDash also uh, you know, launched launched in New Zealand. I don't think I've actually tried them here in New Zealand, so I don't know how. Uh, I must must have a have a, have a look. I tried mm-hmm. tried them, um, you know, in the US 
some years ago, but they, they haven't had that much uh, attention uh, locally. So, mm. um, yeah, must must have a look whether that, that actually is effective because if you, if you don't have enough, you know, resource in terms of drivers and so on, that's not going to play out too well. But, mm. um, you know, DoorDash is sort of like a, an Uber Eats type service. I know initially they were they were offering a range of deliveries. So, yeah, it'll mm. be interesting to see how that plays out. We heard, I think, the last couple of weeks around um, Coles in Australia using uh, this, this wing delivery. Right. Uh, so uh, DoorDash, uh, you know, coming in there, as well, just uh, mixes it up. But yeah, you know, again, this is a, a shift in in kind of roles, right? Mm. If the cost of delivery comes down because you're using a drone mm. to do the delivery, mm. yes, you might need somebody else who's going to run around the store mm. and pick the goods for you and and package them up. Mm. And in fact, there might not have even been a delivery job there in the past because it's been quite a small number of us that have probably percentage-wise, you know, across the population that have, that have needed to have or utilise sort of grocery delivery and sure that sort of grew during during COVID and so on. But even now I've noticed at the, at the you know, the local supermarkets, the number of lockers that they've got for pickup orders doesn't mm. seem to have, you know, been increasing over mm. the last mm. six to 12 months. They've got, you know, what they've had and it seems mm. to be working. But mm. a change like this, yeah, we'll probably actually create some new opportunities, right? Well, going back to the, um, we were talking about broadband before in, in the rural areas. I mean, they're testing this in the suburbs by the sounds of it. But, you know, the idea that uh, you get to a point where the drones have such a range and, and can carry such a payload that you can get it out to the rural areas as well, getting out mm-hmm. to those um, very distant areas, uh, that, that would come into it. But also uh, that... I think this conversation would come up time and time again with anything with technology. Regulation will co- catch up at some point. There will be some no-fly zones, or um, there will be you know certain routes that the the the, um, the these drones can take, and so on. I mean that that's yet to be reckoned. I would would say. Well, what we, are your we, thoughts we, on that? we do have some of that in place already. Where yeah. you know, in fact, it's it's um, you know it's more down the direction that that you can't you know have autonomous drones without you know without a, a, a you know regulatory. Uh, sort of sign off um, <laughs> yes, so you right. can't just take a drone and, and fly it across the city and you know or across people's private properties and, and so on so you know there's going to be a sort of push backwards and forwards to, to make these things work what I guess when I look and see these things are happening in Australia and not mm. happening in New Zealand mm. uh, you know even though we you know going back you know quite a few years when we saw that first uh, sort of media coverage I guess it was a you know public relations sort of stunt in a yeah. way. Um, with Domino's Pizza of pizza delivery, and uh, there was Simon Bridges and 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 whatnot, sort of receiving this drone delivered pizza. Uh, we had that demo, yet that's really as far as it's got in New Zealand. But Australia is going ahead with these much larger scale uh, trials, mm. and that that concerns me because it looks as though maybe you know, and and a, you know, could be wrong without drilling into all the details, but it looks as though. Um, Australia, whether at a federal or nationwide level or at a state level, mm. uh, maybe making themselves an easier place to do these things than than New Zealand. Right, and so that that has some you know some some flow on in terms of employment and and where the innovation's happening and and so on. So we've got to be careful as a as a country that we keep iterating at pace and mm. we keep looking at how do we facilitate 
to bring those sort of cutting-edge firms, Mm. whether it's autonomous flight, cars, all sorts Mm. of things, that we create that environment where uh, aerospace, uh, you know, where New Zealand is the place to be. Mm. And it has been to a degree in the past, um, but I have some concern as to whether New Zealand actually is in the sweet spot right now mm. or whether Australia is actually eating and other other well, countries are eating our lunch, as it were. Well, you know, a thought that comes to mind is that sometimes it's good that somebody leads the way because you can always learn off their mistakes, right? I mean, we can still be early adopters without having to be the first to move on these things and learn from the regulations that need to be put in place or um, just the systems that need to be put in place for this kind of thing to happen. Um, New Zealand can probably benefit from that and actually expedite some of the issues that they could potentially have without uh, having to worry about those issues. I mean, yeah, there yeah. are some positives, you know, sure. from that there's, side there's, too. Yeah, so. there's, there's always there's always two sides to the yeah. to the coin. Certainly, we don't want to miss out on those, no. you know, those opportunities for, for, for behind, New Zealand to saying. be yeah. to be generating revenue by doing yep. the valuable yep. R&D work yep. Yep. that's at the at the front. You know, when we're at the back, we're, yes, we just yep. become users rather than the innovators that are actually potentially well, generating that the, the revenue from inventing the technology or being uh, an early part of that cycle because, you know, there's often a lot of money that, mm. that gets poured in. And, you know, we're seeing it with autonomous vehicles mm. that many billions of dollars poured mm. into that R&D. And so... For me, looking at New Zealand's success, well, hey, how do we take a cut mm. of that R and D piece? So obviously, there's there's the back end. We well, take advantage of the technology once it's ready, but I would quite like to see us. Well, at that front I can, end I can as well. give a, at least yeah. a small answer on that. Where mm. you think of, uh, we're talking about drones here, right? Mm, mm. And you're not really pushing the boundaries of drones just by getting them to go between houses and factories and, and whatever it might be. Yeah, yeah. But if you're pushing the boundaries on uh, technology around zones to uh, be able to go into hectares and hectares of forest and mm-hmm. you know go through foliage and so on or potentially uh, go underwater. I mean, there are examples uh, and there's, there's projects underway at the moment where they're looking at drones underwater to observe things like mussels and aquaculture and so on. So are we pushing the boundaries in different ways where we're first to the plate with that side of things rather than the, just a traditional let's get from point A to B yep, type of yep. technology. No, right? that's good. Yep, yeah. yep. Uh, it's good Good. Good to have that going on for sure. Mm. Um, now, do you want to do Zoom calls, <laughs> video calls from your car, Paul? Um, <laughs> so what we've heard from uh, from Zoom uh, and Tesla is that, is that they're collaborating and uh, Zoom will be added uh, to Tesla vehicles in the not too distant future and for those that don't know the current tesla uh, vehicle has a little camera in it sitting just below the the rear view mirror and that has been started to be used from a, a perspective of safety so you know are your eyes on the road and, and so on and you know it, it's it's not certainly not unique to tesla to have uh, that hardware in there Probably what what is maybe a, a little bit more uh, unique is that that Tesla tend to control all of the technology mm-hmm. in the vehicle, and so it's not that that's just one piece that's disconnected from the rest of the the system, but then they can do mm-hmm. different things with it. So, so uh, sorry, correct me if I'm wrong. They were actually looking at charging a different a, a fee for using it within Tesla 
on top of what you might normally pay for Zoom. Is that oh, correct? Oh, I, I, hadn't, I, I hadn't actually seen that. Um, Look, I could be, could be completely that, wrong that there. But in the, in the write-up, that the possibly what you're referring to as the premium connectivity okay, maybe that, that's it, yeah. um, that you generally need uh, in a Tesla if you want to use the built-in SIM card right. for doing your own sort of fun stuff, as it were. Right. There's, a, there's a level mm. of which... Uh, you know, every Tesla, whether you're paying for premium connectivity or not, get has some data that moves backwards and forwards. So if you you know mm. you put a destination into the maps, it'll map it, get you to the destination, mm. and it'll point you which is the quickest path. Right. But if you're paying for the premium connectivity, okay. then you you get some extras in terms of different routes, and you know you can see where the where the roads are busier or mm. not, and so on. Um, so I think this falls in in that category where you'd be able to. Uh, use that premium connectivity, or you use Wi-Fi. So I'm not, yeah, you know, I'm not sure we we know yet exactly sits, yeah. what the how that will sit based on what's been announced so far. So I don't think they made that clear. For instance, if if, mm. if I use the the Tesla app at the moment and I I go into the Tesla app, uh, one of the new features, and you know they they are regularly coming up with new new capabilities. Right. Uh, I can go under uh, security mm. in the Tesla app and then under sentry mode, which is turned on, which means the cameras in the car are looking out for anyone getting too oh, close right. to the vehicle. Uh, and if that's turned on, they can record it. Mm. I can then hit a button and get a live uh, a live view from in any direction from the car. So maybe I get an alert you know, to say something's something's going on um, with the mm. vehicle. Um, mm. So I've just fired that up now. In this case, I can see uh, out of the f- the front camera, and I can change that a uh, change that around to uh, to a side camera view, and it will update uh, that footage. So I'm looking mm. looking live at what's happening from the vehicle. So that's something they do through the premium connectivity. Mm. But they also limit you. So I've heard maybe it's something like five or ten minutes worth of sort of footage a day. Mm. So people aren't just constantly, mm. you know, constantly mm. streaming. And Tesla's having to pick up the, yeah, you know, yeah. the, the the bill for that. And stuff. you're right. It was the, uh, the connectivity. Yeah, yeah. I see where you're coming from with so, that. So yeah, but quite fascinating that that's happened. Yep. It was, yep. you know, it was something I think a few people were curious about. Maybe when we were stuck not able to get into offices and so on and people were making their their car maybe an alternate office during COVID times and so on and of yeah. course you know many of us do do bits and pieces of work from from our our vehicles um so that yeah does does sound fascinating just another quick aspect mm. I, I wanted to touch on as far as Tesla's concerned I'm now looking at oh look that you know Tesla Model 3 it's been in the New Zealand market now for about three years mm. You know, my vehicle is about three years old. Is it time to sort of roll it over for for um, for a new one? Right. And with Tesla, you've had this software element you've, that some people have chosen to pay for the FSD piece, which mm. itself stands for full self driving. Now, right. three three years in, there is no full self driving of this vehicle, despite varying promises, uh, you know, made and and varying. You know, videos and and content by Elon Musk and and Tesla. Mm. In fact, on the New Zealand website uh, in 2019, it said that they would have what they called driving on city streets by end of the year. Mm. Now that hasn't arrived in New Zealand, so um, I don't want to delve sort of too much into into it. But 
there's an aspect there um, where it doesn't get a lot of media coverage, but I, from from what what I'm picking, mm. is there are some people who have laid down their money mm. and are then maybe um, looking. They've decided, look, I haven't got what I've wanted, so they they're selling their vehicle, um, but feeling pretty you know bitter and disappointed that uh, that Tesla hasn't delivered what they've you know wanted. Uh, maybe people in a in a situation like mine with oh, maybe I should you know upgrade to the new one and mm. there's no route to actually bring that that FSD sort of subscription from one vehicle uh, mm. to another. Oh, right. So you and lose. Okay. so you you know it's like well do I have to spend another and it's I don't know over eleven thousand dollars now to 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 buy that the prices sort of keep going up in the US it's equivalent if you add on a you know, a GST component, it's the equivalent of 28000 New Zealand dollars to buy that FSD component. Mm. And and this is part of what Musk talked about, about it becoming very, very valuable over time. But it, it does create some some interesting challenges. And I think for those who, and and I'm I'm told that people have gone to Tesla and in, and in some cases probably been given, mm. given something back. I don't know what, you know, what that looks like exactly. Um, but I would imagine under New Zealand legislation, mm. uh, you'd probably have a pretty yeah. reasonable reasonable chance if you put in uh, put in the effort that that the they would be under quite some yeah. compulsion, you know, potentially to uh, to to have to do something there. But so, I imagine generally that's that's done a little bit on the hush hush. So you're probably well, not likely to actually catch too much in the media because you imagine I don't know how many of these things have sold, but let's mm. say there was, let's say they'd solved just five hundred of them in mm. New Zealand. Roughly ten thousand mm, dollars, you know, a, one, a yeah. throw. That's that's five million dollars. So, so. so correct me if I'm wrong. I, I find this intriguing. So I don't have a Tesla, so I don't, mm. I can't uh, speak to that side of it. But you're basically saying you're paying for the ten thousand dollar capability of something to happen without without the actual enabling of it to happen. Yeah, the, I mean, the, there are, the, there are some elements on the software that you get that others that aren't paying, okay, you so know, you don't have access to. Kind of so you've got, it, but it's not, not like you've got nothing, but. No. My 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 interest in yeah. Tesla, um, yes, there are some very interesting aspects about you know about the vehicle from a technology and an electric perspective, an environmental perspective, and and so on. But mm. the number one interest is in you know what they're yeah. doing from an autonomy uh, perspective for for me personally. Uh, so if we mm. look at the last three years, well, it's been all good fun and everything. But actually, when I look back at mm. what were the things that push me across the line, they, actually haven't, they haven't actually delivered it. So uh, I wonder if, I mean, I, I often think of, you know, let's say you've got your phone that has all this capability. You never use all the capability mm. on, on, on your phone. You've got certain apps that you, you mm. gravitate towards. But um, maybe that's the, the, the argument. They obviously have sold it on certain features and it has enough features to keep you happy-ish. Um, maybe that's part of it. But I think, yeah, no, you're right. Maybe there's some kind of, yeah, something to do with the consumer side that uh, needs to be done around the guarantees of, of these things working and, and at least a, a given a timeline for it to work. Mm, mm, mm. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, I think well, that's really interesting because we, we buy a lot of gadgets. Let's face it, we buy yeah. TVs and all sorts of things of that have all sorts yeah. of capabilities advertised with it. Do we use it? Uh, not often. Some some of us might, but <laughs> yeah. many people won't. But you don't usually pay an extra fifty percent, no, you on don't, it or, no, what, or no. whatever it is, even ten percent on top of no. you know your, you no, know, you and especially no. a car. I mean, this is no. is is pretty unique to uh, to mm-hmm. Tesla. 
And of course, they've kept this thing going of these price increases, even though we don't haven't necessarily seen all of them come through to New Zealand. Right. So that you've got a little bit of, you know, FOMO, this sort of fear fear of missing <laughs> out because if the price goes up and if we were paying what it was in the US, there would probably be, well, next to nobody paying for the FSD capabilities at mm. this point in time if it was that $28,000 uh, figure. Mm. And it does seem to be less and less people, you know, taking an interest because Tesla hasn't, you know, hasn't delivered at this point in time. Mm. Uh, I guess from my perspective, I do want to see where yes, you, you know do. where it goes, and so I'd be at a you know at quite a disadvantage if I were to you know replace the vehicle without also uh, getting that capability. Now, depending on you know how these things play out, I may not talk further about this, as mm. I'm sure probably others that have maybe gone if they've if they've chosen to go through any sort of process mm. with Tesla may not be able to. You know, either if they come to mm. come to a, a quiet uh, arrangement. Mm. So, mm. Um, but I just thought I'd, though, I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd throw it out there, and we'll we'll see what happens. I, I may or may not be a happy Tesla customer in uh, in a year or two's time, or uh, I may have <laughs> moved on to uh, alternative products. We will, <laughs> we will see, and you can uh, draw your your conclusions from that. <laughs> a couple of other things we did want to touch on before we sort of finish up. Mm. We we do seem to just be having continuing impact in terms of tech startups sort of being, you know, being hit in terms mm-hmm. or not just startups, you know, the the major media reporting of, of big layoffs at um, at Meta. Um, so, you know, there, there's a lot of unknown in the economy. Um, but really the big the big remaining story I wanted to talk about is um, FTX. And, oh, right, yeah. uh, you know, they, they've gone into uh, – Chapter Eleven in the U.S., which we know is uh, is, is is bankruptcy, uh, we're told over over a billion dollars in investor assets are are missing. It's uh, just it's sort of mind mind blowing to me the the sort of size and scale of some of the issues that we're seeing associated with, I guess these these sort of in theory, quite mm. cutting edge uh, firms mm. dealing with what we're told is is very much the the future of currency and other varying things that sort of sit on mm. the on the blockchain. Um, yet we're able to have uh, we, we're seeing these firms that are that are losing funds, getting hacked, mm. big big dramas, and it I don't know it doesn't it doesn't feel like a great you know future. Mm. Uh, when it, when it looks like that, so I'm wondering, you know, how these things are going to be addressed. Is it a is it a legislation thing that can uh, that can resolve these? Because you know, when we yeah. look at normal banks, we we're pretty relaxed, right? We don't have that feeling like, oh, our, you know, our funds are going to be lost. And and of course, when you do drill into uh, these exchanges that go down. I mean, probably most people have been told if you know if you're if you're buying crypto mm. um, through an exchange, you should you know store it on a mm. cold wallet. You don't mm. leave it in exchange mm-hmm. where you know if something happens, you're you're out of pocket. Yet this is exactly what we've you know what we've it's seen a happen. Touchy subject, though, you know, isn't it? Regulating New, New Zealand <laughs> yeah. here with Cryptopia, yeah. or you know, there's mm. been varying ones um, over the years, mm. and. Uh, it's it's got to be addressed if um, you know if there's going to be sort of any level of, of stability 
uh, or or com- you know long term confidence. Um, well, you, you know, in this type of technology, up, right? You, well, you're touching upon one of the important things is that it's not necessarily that it's a, a bad product per se. It's the perception that um, that it, it, it it's not controlled in any kind of way. Maybe it is. That's not that's not so much the issue. But perception is is kind of king here, isn't it? That you get media uh, articles that like we've been looking at that are really uh, smearing what it is around. Uh, Cryptocurrency is it, is it for the everyday person to to get involved with? Um, most people would say, "Well, um, we're not sure because we've seen these articles and we've seen a lot of that over the last few years, where you do you you do read into things a little bit more than potentially you need to. Maybe there's no issue issue there uh, in the long term, but it's a, it's a question that I'm not going to answer <laughs> because I think it's quite a touchy question. I, I'd imagine, especially around the regulation side of things. Um, but we, you know, we look at other products, and we can see. Well, we use drones as an example earlier. There are certain regulations for safety, right? Uh, and and uh, and because they're, they're seen, drones are seen, and and you don't want them in the airspace. You don't want them getting in the way of engines of planes and yep, so on. Yep. So there are some reasons around that. But whether that's applicable uh, in the long term for cryptocurrency in this case, uh, yeah, it's something to be reckoned. Yeah. Now there's an interesting little tie back to uh, to Twitter because. Mm. Over the weekend, what we saw was, and and you know, on the on the podcast before, we've spoken about Clubhouse, which was sort of the big social audio platform that you know oh, yeah. came through during lockdown. Twitter sort of caught up, as it were, with or, or you know replicated what Clubhouse were doing in in their own flavor with Twitter Spaces, and Clubhouse mm. has been going through its own sort of evolving and 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 changes and challenges. But there was a bit of a moment there over the weekend. In fact, it was quite a quite a, a long moment, and I'm not sure how long it ran for. But uh, at one point, I think the space on Twitter, which mm-hmm. is a live audio room that anyone could join in and, and listen in uh, to, had been running for over over 12 hours. Uh, I jumped in there at one stage. There was Kim.com sort of <laughs> being his uh, larger-than-life sort of self-steering things and asking questions of of someone that was was sort of being labeled an insider of of sorts at that time uh-huh. I think it was a, an individual who's who worked for a company that provided some some level of cybersecurity services mm. uh, to FTX so you know absolutely fascinating and you know we we were at this time in in history where you you know you have that you know potential unprecedented mm. access to to people that are very close to these things, mm. and um, all of the the discussion and, and content that came out of that, and I think it, w- it was available for replay at, as well. Um, oh, right. So for those that are really interesting, you're able to get some level of sort of insider stuff, but the the level of you know what is the truth and how should these things be spun, and you know I was you know reading some elements of this on Twitter, and so you've got people that are involved in running the these um, you know the space mm. saying spinning things from a particular angle mm. and then you've got other people coming in and you know basically calling it at dishonesty so uh, you know there was a reference to oh we've got these whistleblowers mm. and then other people coming in and saying how can they be whistleblowers it's after the fact now that mm. the business has already collapsed people mm. have, have lost some pretty large sums of money and yeah. um, why are you calling them a whistleblower aren't these people just now trying to make themselves not look so bad and mm. so on by coming right, out yeah. if they're a whistleblower maybe they could have stopped this thing happening so 
really, really fascinating, but but a whole rabbit hole there potentially. So yeah, I think it, it's it's um, it's really interesting the, the way we see. Uh, the media and Twitter mm. uh, and individuals, and you know, in this particular case, sort of really cross over. And uh, yeah, there's a degree to which it's it's highlighted the role that Twitter Twitter can mm. play. And that comparison of say Clubhouse, which was a, a whole new uh, social audio platform, versus Twitter, mm. where those coming in, like you know, Kim.com definitely got quite a big following on on Clubhouse and was was very much a regular there. But of course, he actually had a lot more followers uh, on Twitter. Right. So, you know, Twitter's now sort of getting some of that benefit of of this longevity as a platform, the followers that, that people have built up. And although I see people saying, hey, we're exiting uh, Twitter and it's Mastodon is where we're going to be, and there mm. are some communities that are springing up there, mm. most of those people have got their existing followings on Twitter, mm-hmm. and so I'm seeing that they're kind right. of maybe one foot uh, in each camp. So mm. I think there's a there's a whole lot more to go on that particular Twitter front, mm. and yeah, I don't think that the the full story is uh, is yet written on the regulation and and what rules there need to be in place around the the future of cryptocurrencies and mm, and mm. and blockchain they don't seem to be going away i think that's mm. that's probably the the you know that's the key thing is there's you know there's some of these that are that some of them that are that are failing and we saw that with the ftx but it's uh it's not as uh, as maybe you know some people are, are probably running for the hills right. you know at this point mm. we've seen cryptocurrencies sort of lose some some value especially over the over the last <laughs> week as we have done through the year but there aren't the signs that people are just completely ab- abandoning uh, crypto. So, you know, I think it's that there's some gaps to be filled in and uh, it's it's not the end. That's that's my my pick on it. No, but uh, we're, I mean, we're, we're we'll creatures see what the of uh, is. kind of, uh, you know, oh, we, we, we've got to stick in there as long as we can to make sure this is, uh, this is going to get better for us as well. So, yeah, yeah. so there's that side of it, yeah. Cool. Well, that's uh, that's us for this week. I should yeah. mention uh, for any well, of those yes. that are watching the video, I've just had landed today the new HP MV360 2-in-1 laptop. It's a very slick device coming in about $3,000, um, folds back on itself as the the, um, the X360 devices do from HP. I'll be trying that out over the next uh, next little while and uh, report back on it. But it uh, yeah, first uh, first look looks uh, looks very sharp. Mm-hmm. Now, a big thank you to our show partners, to Vodafone, Two Degrees, Spark, HP, Gorilla Technology, and Deal. And we really appreciate you know their support of mm. the New Zealand Tech Podcast and of the broader uh, tech and innovation ecosystems uh, here in New Zealand. Now, Paul, if anyone wants to look you up, where do, where do they go? Well, you can find me on uh, LinkedIn. You can find me on the uh, AUT uh, website as well. Um, our profiles are all there. Dr. But Paul Woodfield. Dr. Paul Woodfield, yeah. Uh, a bit of work goes into getting to that that title, but uh, we, we don't always use it. But it's you know it's one of those things, and yeah, it just there'd be some interesting, uh, I hope, interesting things that have been looking into uh, not only the innovation uh, side of things and entrepreneurship, but also in the context of the likes of family businesses as well. So um, yeah, have a look and, and uh, see if there's anything of interest. Yeah, well, I'm looking looking forward to um, having you on the New Zealand Business Podcast mm. in the future and. And delving into you know some of the learnings from your from your research there, mm. um, and for those that aren't aware, uh, the New Zealand Business Podcast has 
you know, really some incredible stories of, of many of New Zealand's top uh, business leaders, mm. and we see more episodes uh, come through there now once or twice a month at the moment. So uh, well worth um, subscribing to if, you, if you're interested in, in the role of technology and, and innovation in a more broader way, um, because that is part of the business podcast or if you're interested in, in you know, business in, in general. So, mm. hey, thanks everyone for listening in. Thanks, Paul, for joining me. And, no, thanks uh, for having me. We'll, awesome, yeah. We'll look forward to the next one. Excellent. All right, cheers. Thank you. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.